I hope this finds everybody well and let's go ahead and try and get into it as quickly as possible because we have a, a multi-part episode here for you guys today and of course we're talking with the great Peter Howard and you guys know how conversations with Peter can go. I mean once you start talking the conversations can get deep, they can get windy with multiple stops at different I guess arguments, side conversations and different situations that you want to get into but Adam and I, we originally wanted to talk with Peter about his wide receiver rankings. Uh, if you've checked out any of his work, either on Patreon or the things that he's been putting out on Twitter, uh, I mean, he has his process, his methodologies, and that's what we wanted to talk about. But with the draft happening so recently and with all of the takes and all of the information that's been out there about the draft, uh, we, we got into everything. Uh, we started talking about running backs. We started talking about the fallacy of vacated targets. So uh, we had some wide receiver discussion. We got into the first uh, three or four wide receivers that are on his list to go check those out uh, in his rankings. And uh, we just had a wonderful conversation. I mean, in total, it lasted well over two hours, but we're going to give you the first about four. 40 minutes or so. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy and uh, we'll talk soon. It's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors. Chris Allen and a- a- Adam Wilde. Um, Higgins or who? Uh, Higgins alone, Ruggs alone, or Chanel and Gibson. Chenault and Gibson, probably. Yeah, I think so, too. I'm not a big believer in Chenault, but Anthony Amico is. Sure. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, like <laughs> and Gibson's pretty good. And Higgins, I like a lot, but I have him below. Like, I have him as a different thing to the other wide receivers, if you know what I mean. Right, but right. I could be wrong on that. That's why I like him. But, like, his production metrics are good in the same way AJ Green's were good. In that they don't look bad, but players like AJ Green remind us that that could be good. <laughs> uh, and every and everything else says he's like everyone likes his tape, decent landing spot, good draft capital. But like that's not enough for me to take the one player over two. If you know what I mean? Sure, sure. I'm ready whenever you are, Chris. Uh, I'm good. Yeah, let's roll. All right, tell me when we're recording, and I'll kick it off. We've been recording. <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome in to Dynasty Owners Manual. And before we get started, please let me introduce Chris Allen because I don't want to hear it anymore. Chris, how are you? I'm doing great, noted John Brown hater. What's going on? <laughs> and we're joined today by Mr. Peter Howard. And this is probably the, I don't know, fourth, fifth, something like that time that Peter Howard has been on. And we like to talk wide receivers with Peter uh, after the draft. Peter, how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm pretty sure it's my second time on. Like, you had me on that once and then never, never heard from you again. (laughs) (laughs) I think I have a misconception because we did, didn't we do a two-parter? I think you were our first two-parter, actually. Yeah, I think it was a two-parter. I think we ran quite long, and that's when Chris and I realized we can put out two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I can be loquacious at times. And, yeah, that's, that's exactly what normally happens. It's like, oh, wow. Let's not have that guy back on. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're going to talk about your top 12 rankings, Peter. And it's not at all to, for anybody to argue rankings or um, who, who they like that you have ranked there and who they dislike. But we want to know when you're sitting in front of the computer and you're putting their rankings together, what the hell is going on through your head. So um, we want to know what you're looking at, um, what resources you use, 
anything. Let's just go through your rankings and, uh, and, you know, come to our own conclusion. So, um, and we'll, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm here for that. You're telling me we're not going to argue about every little thing. I like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I like that idea. <laughs> Please ignore Chris, uh, and, um, just, uh, Adam entirely come to my timeline and argue with me. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's do it. I'll try and explain. I'll try and explain what I do. Basically. I can't guarantee you're not going to get any arguing from others on Twitter, but Chris and I are smart enough to know that we're going to listen to you today. So let's kick it off. 101. Uh, 101 for receivers. Who you got, Peter? I know, man. Um, my draft board isn't exactly set right now. My ranks are pretty set, but like my top 12, if I was drafting. For a start, can I ask what do you mean by my top 12? Um, am I drafting at every pick or am I in a draft and I have it? Like, I struggle with the theory on the top 12, like, if you know what I mean. Because if I have the first 12 picks, I don't know I care about the order. <laughs> You're a different individual for every pick. If you're telling me, yeah, it's like 12 different drafts you're, and I have 12, so 12, 12. Yeah, that's a different thing, if you know what I mean. Draft um, the whole league today and it's only wide receivers. Right. <laughs> oh, well, okay. In that case, well, I don't have 101. <laughs> but yeah, 101 right now is a running back. Um. And really, I have a 101A and a 101B, and it's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Jonathan Taylor. But right now, I've got Clyde as a 101 just because I'm uh, I'm a I'm a coward, and I like the certainty of first round draft capital, <laughs> and that's 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 what that's where I'm at. And um, so yeah, uh, the way he gets there is one a few different things. One, I look at hit rates just to give me a sense of um, how likely a player is to have a fantasy relevant season. The thing I put out for this year was actually kind of a, so she meant to show you some of my thought process, which is where on a basic level, the things that we have are, which will be, you know, I came, I came in. Okay. So let's start from the beginning. I came into fantasy football, having played real football my entire life and not literally knowing what American football was like four <laughs> attempts. And then you give it back. I don't understand this game. Um, and so like I was trying to play just um, to fill a fill a space in a league for a friend, basically. Um, and the more I started digging into it, the more I realized it's very easy to make a mistake that everyone knows it's a mistake and you, you're stupid for not knowing that kind of a thing. And I didn't want to make those mistakes. Um, and so on that level of analysis, the things that we have that are actually useful for giving us a better and worse odds for every position, it's draft round for tight end. Actually interesting enough draft pick comes in a little bit more, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and for wide receiver, we have a little bit of an advantage in where we can break it down by breakout age and draft round. And so, uh, what I did is just produced a sheet showing you the hit rates of the percentage of players drafted in each round from that position who have hit for a top five, top 12 and top 24 season. And then with wide receiver, I did it across both breakout ages, a 20% breakout age and a 30% breakout age, which is what Rotoviz now says we should use, mm-hmm. but they just never seem to mention that like lots of good players. We really like like Doug Baldwin looked 
terrible <laughs> if you use a 30% threshold. So I'm still not really comfortable with it, but it's there. So I'm using it. Uh, and then I average them out just to create like a basic on average, how, how likely what's the hit rate of this player in this draft round or with this breakout age, how often do they hit? And then at least if we know that, we know if we're, we're, we're going against the grain. Like you can, you can take, and I will, Joshua Kelly early, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know he's got a much lower hit rate based on his draft round than most running backs just because that's the history. It doesn't mean when we look at a specific player, we take more context into consideration. We look at that player for a start. Um, but, you know, if, if you're like me and you know nothing, you should at least know that you are stupid if you – don't make that pick knowing he's got a lower chance to break out than some of the other running backs, right? If that makes sense. And so that's kind of the start where it starts for me, just a basic understanding generic player a in this draft round or with this breakout age, how often do they hit? Um, And even the best hit rate, by the way, it's like, it sounds really good when you're like, Ooh, 44% for, Justin Jefferson as a prequel. And that sounds great until you start thinking that's like four out of 10 players. (laughs) So four out of 10 players have a top 24 season, at least if there were 10 Justin Jefferson's four breakout, that's actually terrible. And that's the problem with rookie picks. But um, anyway, so that's the start. I just want to know that basic information. And then I dig into um, the players. I have models for all of this stuff as well nearly swore look at that um a pre and a post draft score the pre-draft model just ranks their production to past prospects the post-draft model tries to adjust that production by draft round so if a guy is really productive and gets drafted late it compares him to it put it gives him a different score it compares him to other players that were in that situation um now neither of my models are meant to be rankings one because i'm not a mathematician nor a statistician so I, I not even i trust that completely but it does give me an idea right it's a mathematical way of creating a probably what's smarter than me um you know josh hansmeyer is always talking about the most mistakes are us trying to outthink models but like I'm also not here to be run by my robot over sure. overlords just yet. Sure. So I, I'm here mostly to have fun. So I like knowing it, but then I just want to go draft the players. I get those special feelings about when I look sure. at their production metrics, right? Some um, of the most fun picks are so, the ones where you say, screw it. Right, exactly. And s- some of the best hits. Frankly. So uh, that's it starts off on a broad picture it gets more narrow as i look at individual players and then i just outside of all of that i try and rank based on what i'm comfortable with what who, what's exciting me um after that it's adjusting by adp right i have some players rank way too high to draft them in that draft round for example in our rookie drafts i need to know that i need to be willing to do that but i'm not saying everyone should go get um I can't throw out examples because we haven't done any more players because you asked me about one guy and I've been talking for five <laughs> minutes. And so I'm going to stop. But that's basically the process. That's the entire thing. Um, and it's all uh, like my my models, the even the hit rate threshold thing that I made for this draft that uh, I, put, I tweeted out. I even put that in my market share database so everyone can see exactly what I'm talking about and then make up your own minds and have the fun sure. yourself of making your own decisions. So I really think it's the fun of this shit. I did swear that time. Um, <laughs> I think it's okay. I, I don't know, actually. No, Let's I did. Okay. I think these are, we put E on these, so you're yes, all right. Yes, we're all you want. 
um yeah and that's pinned to my timeline and pinned to my patreon account and it's free so go look at it laugh at it or not i don't have that's where it all is um and as cowardly as it is uh to just say the first round running back has to be uh the 101 over jonathan taylor who has a much better pre-dress score for example he's much more productive he looks much more like the typical running back that we want 101 overall no matter how I look at it, draft round matters. Draft pick also matters, and the fact they're not that far away in pick spaces does matter. It's weird people only mention that when talking about Jonathan Taylor, though, when there was actually running backs drafted between the two. So, like, it actually helps out Swift a lot more than it helps out Jonathan Taylor, for example. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, and the other thing is, I think... Our narrative's crazy. Like, last two years, all anyone's been able to say is, God, I hope they draft a running back in the third round in Kansas City. And we get a a first-round running back, and everyone's like, yeah, but come on. This guy went in the second round. I mean, mean, come on, man. That's that's the landing spot. Um, So, yeah, I think he's in a great landing spot. I think he was a really good player in this last year. The equal of most outside of Jonathan Taylor in his last year is how I'd say it. He's a great uh, receiver based on the amount of receiving he got throughout his college career. Um, Running back production is a little bit tricky. Not a lot of it's predictive. Points per game and fantasy points, interestingly enough, are some of the most predictive individual stats. Um, But I do like knowing their roles. Um, Average running backs that break out for a top 12 season, for example, have around about an 85 80 to 85 percent rushing share of their yards which means you know they're catching at least 15 to 20 percent of their yards through the receiving game Clyde Edwards Hilaire fits that and throughout his college career actually he's a little more than that he's a little bit more of a receiver which is a good thing for fantasy he provides even more of a floor and and I guess I really tried to put Taylor at one-on-one and I've been having this conversation back and forth with myself for about a week. It's like you don't draft for floor, right? But then I go back to the Kansas City debate, and landing spot yeah. does really matter for running back. We can start to weigh that in a little bit. And, like, there's plenty of ceiling there. I'm not seeing a lack of ceiling, if you know what I mean. Um, so, yeah, sorry. That was a conversation in my head at that one pick. Shall we do number two? <laughs> so so I, I wanted to just do our receivers, but then I accidentally sent you down the – the whole draft path, but now I've got some questions. So that's, do you think that the fifth year option plays at all into how you value a running back in dynasty too? He's the only one that's going to have it. No, I think that matters for NFL teams. Maybe I think one of the smarter ways, smarter things I heard last year was drafting Sony Michelle in the first round was because the end of the first round is a lower contract. It's not that different to a second round running back Mm -hmm. and you get that fifth year, um, I know I've asked a few people about that and the consensus seems to be that's mostly overthinking it. It's still yeah. better just to draft another one in the third round when that one runs out. Um, yeah. And I'm not an NFL value, you know, I'm not an NFL coach or anything, but that, that was interesting. And um, no, uh, by the time it gets to the fifth year, if you haven't already been told it's time to sell that running back, then he probably hasn't been productive yet. <laughs> it's already that's a true. letdown. So yeah, but we just keep getting these messy situations every single time. It's almost like the situation's on repeat every year. I mean, now we're going to get it with Mixon. Leonard Fournette's team hates him. Uh, <laughs> every time he, Calvin Cook wants to be the highest paid running back in the league, we have to see that all over again. It's like all. It's almost like I just want that extra year at this point. 
Well, um, you're not getting it though. That's the point. All of those guys haven't gotten there yet. More already, like they were already yeah, losing value. Like, like by yeah. year five in fantasy in a running back, and that's also why they climb to the top of a draft board, right? To go back to why our picks ourselves, like the running backs get put over the wide receivers because we're going to get their production earlier. Exactly. We're going to get their value earlier, and we're going to be able to trade them earlier. And so, like year five isn't something I considered. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We just want a revolving door at the running back position, in my opinion. I mean, if you can just get two years of solid top production out of them and then flip them for another rookie pick for another rookie running back, that's ideal to me. Yeah, that's a, that's the ideal, right? Unfortunately, everyone knows what that ideal is. So everyone's got <laughs> Melvin Gordon on their roster and no one wants him. <laughs> yeah, Chris is struggling to sell Zeke right now for similar reasons, and he did get the contract, so it's kind of interesting. Well, that's that's the metric everyone forgets. It's a get out before Ryan McDowell says it tweet. <laughs> yeah. When Ryan McDowell says, actually, the move is to sell Zeke, you're like, ah, I've kept Zeke too long. Now no one yeah. wants to. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me of that uh, when Antonio Brown was trending down before any of the craziness and Michael Thomas was trending up and you tried to meet at that X and it's just like, by the time you realized right. it was time to meet at that X, it was too late. Nobody too late. was going to trade you straight up. No. So yep. you just have to be before. Which weirdly, based on exactly what you were saying about running back, turns it into a buy Zeke window, but you have sure. to get in at the right moment there where the value is low. But <laughs> so uh, it's all, it's all uh, tricky. I wish they just mm-hmm. went with Tony Pollard, but we'll get to the wide receiver. <laughs> just make it easy for me. Yeah. Uh, although right. this is how it gets easy, you know, to JJ Zacharyson's research, every time we think we know the backup running back to roster, we're normally wrong. So this is exactly when you buy Tony Pollard, actually. Sure. Probably. <laughs> All right. Let's talk your top 12 wide receivers. We're going to go one at a time, just discuss why they're ranked where they're ranked. And then uh, after we've, got through a few picks we can compare who you've already ranked and why they're ranked where they're at but you have cd lamb first overall that's a lot of people's at least before the draft some people think it was a bad spot some people think it was a good spot why is uh lamb still your first wide receiver i've had them all at one man i've been revolving these ranks like they mean nothing i had uh justin jefferson at one for a little while and then rager at one because someone shamed me because you know how did rager go down my ranks when he was already at two and he got drafted in the first round (laughs) like that didn't make sense so i put him at one and then i was like no i'm not taking him over lamb i just no and so I basically have the same pre-draft order at the top, the <laughs> same order post-draft. It's just they're now, they're ne- the, t- the tier one is now three players instead of two. And the reason Lamb's at one, because he, the negatives on a, uh, on a metric basis or whatever hell it is that I do um, are that CD Lamb isn't the size of Calvin Johnson. And that's pretty much where the list ends. And no one has the production of Calvin Johnson and the size of Calvin Johnson, except for Julio Jones. And he's already in the league and cheap right now, by the way. Um, CD Lamb wasn't as productive as those guys, but he he hit every threshold. He was very productive. He didn't break out at 18 like I adore and love, like with Jalen Regor, but that's Mm -hmm. fine. Neither did Julio Jones to that point. Mm -hmm. And like, there's really nothing everything's green lights across the board for Lamb. Um, his, and his physicals do matter. That might indicate a slightly lower ceiling. 
Um, but I honestly think we can fade physical metrics if everything else looks good. Um, and then it goes down to, like you said, the landing spot. And here's the only thing I know for sure about landing spot. We never know how it works out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good. You have to make a story. You have to make a decision at some point. But unfortunately, I, I think this is worse news for Gallup than it is for Lamb. Sure. Um, if anything, I would like to make an anti-Cooper argument and a pro-Gallup argument, but C.D. Lamb is the one that gets saved. Unless you think there's something that makes C.D. Lamb look bad, there's no reason to think he's not going to get the opportunity, no reason to think he won't increase his opportunity. Uh, so that based on his draft capital and what the team's done to go get him, um, and that means it has to be about will this player be able to perform given that opportunity. Most wide receivers, a lot of wide receivers have to earn it. That's one of the reasons that early volume is an indication um, and efficiency that this player is going to make it. But we don't have any of that stuff yet. And first-round wide receivers definitely get given at least a modicum of opportunity to get opportunity, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. So C.D. Lamb's going to get that. And I can find no reason not to love C.D. Lamb. And even I go listen to every now and again, I'll go read a tape grinder article. Like someone say something bad about this man. <laughs> no one's got nothing. So like if he's not good enough to do wonders with the opportunity, he's going to get a chance to get, um, then we can't see it. And so anything else is just passing maybes. So what I know about this player is he looks like a great college player and he predicts to be a great NFL player as high as any player can. Well, not as high, but, you know, in the top 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, so what am I really arguing over here? Things that I can't know, things that I don't know how they'll work out. Someone can get traded. Someone could get injured. I hope so for Michael Gallup's sense. Uh, but I'm just passing maybes. Uh, sure. So at the end of the day, I'm just going to draft the good player. <laughs> and mm-hmm. hope it works out, which is what you have to do. And this looks like the best player in the class. And it looks like he kind of got better la- draft capital. So what more do you want? Mm-hmm. You I want, want it to be the- perfect? It's never going to be perfect. Just I- get over it. <laughs> I went through the same exact thought process in, in that I wanted to rank somebody ahead of Lamb too. And it basically got to the point that I said, if I have to try this hard to find uh, – problems and maybe then uh it sounds like he's the wide receiver one for me uh why am i trying so hard so he he came to be wide receiver one for me i think the same for you right chris uh yeah and i guess quick question peter uh well i think uh, well, for me personally it was yeah it was cd cd was at number one for me uh and then shortly after that was uh was judy and I guess we'll get to him. He's farther down on your list, but we'll get to him. Uh, I guess from a process standpoint, or and I think this is another question that uh, that might be a, an unrelated question or something that you might have looked at on on the side. But is there any correlation, or have you noticed any correlation between uh, first round or even like draft capital versus, I guess, rookie year target share? Has that been anything that would be worth look, either looking into or something that you can use to project like how a team would wind up using that wide receiver like in their first year? Because if the logic rolls that if uh, it's a first round or even second round draft capital spent on that player, he should wind up getting targets. Is that something that historically has wound up shaping up to be, oh, yeah, well, he, it's first round or second round guy. They got 15 percent target share their first year. 
I'm not, I'm just inserting a number here. Right. Or would it just be that team specific that I guess there'd be just be too much noise in the data to pull anything from that? I'm not sure. There might be, like I say, I'm not, I don't know everything and I can't even do most math. So <laughs> maybe, mm-hmm. um, I think anything on a team level is going to be way too volatile. I mean, you've got changing coaching staffs, if nothing else, and you've got very few players going in each round each year. You're never going to get a good sample, but that's always a problem in the NFL. What I can tell you is, and this suffers from what I'm starting to call the fallacy of the average. If you say on average, it sounds really official. But what that means is there's an awful lot of players going below it, an awful lot of players getting above it, and this is the average Mm -hmm. in the middle, right? So Mm -hmm. the distribution matters on things like this, um, and mostly you can get the best signal by evaluating the player. Like C.D. Lamb's a great player. Uh, Anyway, let me try and answer the question here. There there are averages, I can tell you. Just remember that that there's a fallacy in knowing the average. It's not that's what Mm -hmm. he's going to get. It just does seem to indicate that first-round players get more target share their first year, second-round players, third-round players. It does go in order in terms of the average. So being drafted in the mm-hmm. first round, you're more likely to get a bigger role in the first year. Um, but again, that's not true for every player. Very, very not true for every player. But it does seem to indicate draft capital is the most hopeful in getting uh, or encouraging, perhaps, opportunity. But... Uh, especially at wide receiver, I really think targets especially are things that players create. They're earned, um, and therefore it's about how well they play that first year. I, I can tell you things like any player that hasn't had at least a 10% target share in their first year, even on a per-game basis, if we want to look at some injury guys, very few injury guys in their first year ever go on to do anything, even from the first round, actually, um, which is where I think you can see the bias of draft capital coming in. Coaches weighing mm-hmm. off of players if they don't get nothing from them. First round ha- has a little bit more leeway, but it drops off a quiff- cliff quicker if they don't get something eventually. Um, but anyway, yeah, there are averages like 10% is where you want a player to be to at least have had a quote-unquote good rookie year. Mm-hmm. Anywhere around that number, really. Um, okay. First round wide receivers tend to get about 15% Target share on average, which is a really hinky number. Wide receiver ones average around 22% these days. So you, we're not expecting a lot from rookies. Um, I can tell you positional target shares as well. Weirdly, first round wide receivers seem to get a 33% positional target share, which is a really weird average because that's way too high for a wide receiver three. And so I often think teams drafting wide receivers in the first round have situations on their depth sure. chart. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that positional difference is slightly interesting. But anyway, sorry. So, But those are the numbers. <laughs> we, and it was scary at first when he was drafted, but you, it has to look as a, at it. We have to look at it as a positive because uh, they just abandoned need to draft the best player available. So they valued him right. highly. And we've seen people produce – with three wide receivers and a running back, it was the Rams, and they were the second coming of the greatest show on turf. But it is a possibility, and it allows Mari Cooper to go back to the slot and play predominantly slot, and Michael Gallup's just going to run wind sprints. But theoretically, all three of them could produce without can. just knock him completely with Gallup. Like, I really want to believe that argument because I love Michael Gallup as a later drafted guy who had a good profile. (laughs) I was like, yeah, he's one of my guys, man. I remember. But um, 
here's the thing having followed and believed in those guys and occasionally gotten hits from them enough i also know the pain that the teams fade them man i'm sorry there's snobbery yeah. throughout the life and the nfl and players want to play the guys they can say they picked out of a lineup not the ones they looked into. That's my best sure. explanation for it. Because plenty of players mm-hmm. have come out and had great seasons and just for no reason, they've just slided away. It's so hard to do, so rare to do. There's no other reason I can think of anyway. And one thing I would say is if you want to move it to top 24 seasons, mm-hmm. like the common denominator in having two, at least two wide receivers in the top 24 or three, sorry, is Peyton Manning. That's pretty much a requirement to have three in the top 24. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, and since we probably aren't going to get that <laughs> again, like um, it, it, as, as I remember, it's happened two or three times and Peyton Manning was a quarterback and at least two on two different teams. So um, yeah. the Rams were doing it for a little while, but yeah, then you've got injuries. One player wasn't available. Oh, yeah. You don't know how it works out for the whole season. He, they were looking like it there for a little while. Um, but even then, it was this offensive mind who's obviously, obviously above average. The league seems to have caught him up a bit and they've gotten well, caught in their own cap. But... Um, that, that was a unique situation, you know. Um, I don't know. Like, I would love it. I want to make that argument. I've read the top 36 articles, three top 36 wide receivers. But here's the thing, guys. R- Randall Cobb was a top 40 wide receiver last year. He proved right. that, you know, veterans still get it done. He, even if you had him on in teams, which I, I did a lot, you got great value, but it's not what you wanted from Michael Gow. He's lost value right. one way or the other. Like, oh, it's yeah. hard. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not selling him because screw you. I've got oh, yeah. the free agent right. on my team still <laughs> that I have no use for and don't do anything because they're my guys, right? Yeah, I'm not, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not selling him for that reason, but you know, likely is Michael Gallup just got hit real hard, and, oh, yeah. and that's I mean, and it's got nothing to do with the players. I think mm-hmm. if anything, it's to do with the teams above him drafting weirdly. Because there's no way, um, like J. Mike Check from the Open Bar calmed me down on the C.D. Lamb pick. Who's like, look, if C.D. Lamb falls to you, you draft C.D. Lamb. And that, uh, yeah, actually, now he said, when he said it that way, Dallas would have yeah. been fools not to take C.D. Lamb in that the, way. Right. On draft, yeah. Yeah. Just had to shrug. It, right. Yeah, you have to, have to take it at that point. Sorry. So I guess my my other question then is so looking at that offense I guess we're focused on we seem to be focused on Dallas for like one reason or another uh-huh. uh, but I guess the the question would then also apply to uh, uh to Jerry Judy in Denver which is something that I know you rail against as much as possible and that's the, <laughs> not necessarily a fallacy but just the 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 idea of vacated targets <laughs> So if you were to look at, since we were just talking about Randall Cobb, I mean, Randall Cobb leaves behind, I think, like a 15% target share. Emmanuel Sanders leaves behind, what, like an 18% target share. So if people want to try and connect targets to these incoming wide receivers and just say, oh, well, uh, Amari, Cooper, Amari Cooper, now he slides into this, he plays this role, that's going to leave so much open for C.D. Lamb. And then if Judy now is going to Denver, but uh, Sanders is gone, that's going to leave so much open for him. I guess, what would you caution people about doing when they look at what happened the past year to what they think could possibly happen uh, in the upcoming season? Yeah, I still got to finish writing that article. <laughs> um, but 
it's not that it's not fun calculus or it doesn't have some truth. Like John Daigle tracks it for Odo World and he's a real smart guy and he's real good at football and fantasy football. So it's not useless. I, I, okay. Here's, I've been trying to sum this up in this article forever, but you get all of the signal and none of the crappy roster spot holders. If you just evaluate, is this player good at wide receiver? We can actually do that. So why would you bring in another number that doesn't tell you a player is going to be good and doesn't mean anything if he's not? So having said that, an excessive amount of vacated targets is there is a higher hit rate on, on, on a team having a breakout player on that roster when they've lost like 250, 300 targets from the year before. Teams on average lose between 80 and 110 targets, just on average, just players moving on and off the depth chart. And the other thing is vacated targets, I'll believe it when they start doing added targets. How about that for the analysis? Yeah, we just lost Randall Cobb and Jason Wynn. Okay, but you just drafted three wide receivers and you just added a bunch of tight ends or whatever it is. Like, we're not adding them. We're just... it's. It's trying to read team intent, which is perfectly valid, but understand that it's that. The team's um, not feeling a need to um, supplement targets because of the players they lost, then they probably think they have a Chris Godwin on their hand, and that's what happened. It wasn't there was space and Godwin rose to fill it. It's that we're reading team intention. They didn't feel a need to fill in a lot of other players or try to find other players because they had, they were pretty certain they had had them on the roster. I think that's what's going on. And teams can get it wrong, which is also why you get a decent hit rate, but not a hundred percent when that happens. And um, so I'd, I'd, it's definitely valuable, but without a player that you like for some reason about what they've done or what they are, then it's, that's not what you're looking for. There you end up with, you know, Green Bay wide receiver twos. Although, we're for, to be fair, the start of season, MVS was doing well. But then what typically happens on most teams, they spread out Faro. He gets injured. He doesn't earn his role back on. Um, mm-hmm. And they just spread out. Um, and the other thing about vacated targets is players earn and create them. Like, if you have Odell Beckham and Landry on your team, which, you know, we've seen in the NFL now and we've seen in college for a couple of years as well, what happens is everyone else loses targets. <laughs> There's just no wide receiver four. It's not that wide receiver one gets helped or hurt. It's just mm-hmm. they suck up all the offense. Why do, you, why do you need to throw to wide receiver five, six, seven on your depth chart if you have those guys? So you don't. Um, and that's where they come from from as well there's not a lot of dip in wide receiver ones when a wide receiver two breaks out behind to, to have two top 24 wide receivers for example and um, jarvis landry and odell beckham both had fantastic market share last year the team production was just down they suffered in touchdowns and a little bit of inefficiency in a tough schedule as well but they, they had no problems earning wide receiver one numbers in terms of a percentage of the offense on the same team. And they've done it once in co- once in the NFL and they did it for two straight years in college. So vacated targets has use. I guess that's the most frustrating thing about it. I think we can see a lot of team intent. There are situations where you're like, we should really break down this roster a little harder to see if there's someone we're missing, but it's not a matter of there's these many targets, which player can I sign them to? And because the passing attempts are remarkably stable, but the targets just disintegrate into nothing if there's no one who can do that remarkable thing of claiming a large enough portion to be fantasy relevant for. 
So mm-hmm. that's not one simple thing at all, is it? <laughs> that's no, my rant. because I think that that's absolutely fair because it's not like we can take, uh, let's say, 150 DeAndre Hopkins targets and then just immediately assign them to Brandon right. Cooks. You exactly. pick, like, don't get to just pick the guy that you want to talk about and say that those are his targets. Exactly. Yeah. That's why it's and but that's a good segue into our next player because, uh, well, Peter's next player uh, would also be mine. Probably, maybe. I don't know. That's why I don't rank. But last year, does it doesn't matter what the vacated targets were. There probably won't be very many vacated targets, but they were all owned by very under-average players. So, like you said, he's he, to me, Rager just gets to stomp on them and take all of the targets. So it's not it doesn't have to be a vacated targets thing. The targets will still be similar. Um, the players will still be on the roster, but we're just talking about guys like Greg Ward. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey was hurt, though I think he's a huge value considering he's going like 20-plus rounds and he might still be the wide receiver one this year. But regardless, <laughs> regardless, regular stepping into a situation where he gets to basically stomp on every wide receiver on the roster um, and vacated targets doesn't matter in this in this case. What do you? Where did you... Uh, how did you get to Jalen Rager as wide receiver too? Um, just as a side note, Alshon definitely is like a real value in best balls right now. Um, yep. But yes. outside of that, um, yeah, again, the Rager's profile has a problem. His third year, he was bad. And uh, I say that to be strict with myself because – I tell people all the time you can't make, you can't adjust for the sake of adjusting. Uh, he did not earn enough of that offense, even on a bad offense. And I know it was a terrible year with bad QBs and everything else, but like you'd expect a really good player to still be the main wide receiver, getting most of the. He just didn't earn a significant portion based on his age and what he'd done before. He had a bad year, but that's okay by me because his two first years were amazing. He broke out at the age of eighteen, which is like the biggest signal and gives you the best hit rate just just based on um, breakout age and draft round, like I was talking about before. Um, so, like, I'm not worried that he had one bad year. Juju Smith-Schuster's had two bad years, one in the NFL, one in college. It happens. Like, no one looks perfect. Stop hoping that it's perfect. Um, he's an athletic monster. He's incredibly, if we're going to break down into narratives, the guy himself looks incredibly dedicated. And I say that just from the the change he put in his body before he came into the combine. Mm-hmm. Like no one expected him to measure anything like that. And it's just because in a very short time, he completely changed himself. That's if you like dedication, that to me is probably one of the really good indicators of it. And um, in college, he was an incredibly large part of a worse offense, but that doesn't matter to me because like I was saying about vacated targets, about players that can rise up in whatever the offense is and just claim a large portion of it. That's the biggest signal that this player is good. Um, he doesn't even have like the second highest hit rate potential based on what I was talking about with my uh, my broad picture there. But the outside of that third year, he looks like the highest upside receiver in this draft class to me. Yeah. And a yards per team pass 10 basis before that third year, his breakout age, the volume of the offense he was able to suck up, all of that. Um, and I'm getting told people are dra- drafting him early second round in Superflex drafts, so there's no reason to draft him this high. But, yeah, I'm really interested in Rager. Um, and, I again, I, I'm just... 
it's not that smarter people who know teams in the NFL better than me don't make consistently good descriptions of what a team's going to look like. I know I can't find anything to predict what that landing spot's going to be, you know, two weeks into the season, let alone for the first three years. So it's tempting to say Philadelphia is a good landing spot. I think it's at least a good team. I do think that matters. You want players on well-run teams, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but sketching out what that offense is going to look like, being strict with myself, if I'm not going to do it with Lamb, I can't really do it with Rager either. But anyway, sorry. That was my long rant about Rager. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> cut these down. <laughs> Give us all the rants. No, we'll make three episodes if we need to. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, because I was thinking about that, and again, with the vacated targets thing, people will just look at, oh, well, Nelson Aguilar got like 60, 70 targets. Greg Ward got like, you know, 20 or 30 or however many targets. Yeah, so then Jalen Rager should get 100 targets, and I can't, at least that logic, I can't follow. Could I still see him getting 100 targets? Sure. I mean, I think anything's possible. I mean, with the draft capital they spent... Uh, the team's neutral passing rate, I'm sure he'll get, wind up getting to 100 targets at some point in the season. But it's just the logic, or the, the story that people paint or they tell in order to get to that, that's where this, the wheels fall off the cart tree. And I'm just like, I don't even want Jalen Rager now because that doesn't make any sense. Like, Just give me somebody else where the story makes more sense because just because these guys left... Because I mean, because if I were to think about this, uh, the uh, so what's the story then for Jerry Judy? Because then you still have Cortland Sutton there, you still have Noah Fant there, you and they also drafted KJ Hamler. So then, what's the story for Jerry Judy? Right, that he doesn't have well, he doesn't have a hundred targets just to walk into. So why well, those targets don't there? exist. Those passing yeah, attempts that's, that's, might do, but then that, yeah. that's. Just a simple word change would stop triggering me, at least. And, you know, you don't have to stop triggering me. I enjoy being triggered. Keep saying vacated targets if you want. I enjoy the conversation. I'm not saying it has to change, but I'm saying that's what I'm always going to end up coming down to. Um, Here's an argument for – and it is fun to walk around down Narrative Street. Like, I get it. You've got to find a story that makes sense to you, and I will too. Um, but I'm not going to tell you I can add to it. Like, I know Philadelphia is a good landing spot. I think it's a good team, and that's good. I can't tell you. And same with Lamb. I think it's a good team. I can't tell you it's bad just because – or good because these targets are missing. Um, But something that might help a little bit, the majority of breakouts, and by that I mean players that have their first year inside the top 24 at wide receiver and PPR scoring, that's just a simple measure of breakout – um, they come from stability, not rapid change in the number of targets coming on or off the depth chart. Now, they've got lower hit rates because most teams are more stable. That's why passing attempts are stable. But like the, if you count the number of players who have entered the top 24 for the first time over the last 10 years, most of them have happened on depth charts that were remarkably stable. They were within their average of targets added and targets lost from the year before. And again, I think that's where we're getting a lot of team extent, team intent. So on the extremes, you're seeing it because like Tampa Bay feels very comfortable with Chris Godwin. And then the stability teams, teams think they've got good wide receivers. And a lot of times they're right. Well, a lot of times they're wrong. And sometimes they're right. And that's why most of them come there. And so Philadelphia has clearly, if we're going to walk down narrative street, the, the story I would tell about Rager is that the team's clearly been searching for more wide receivers. Just 
Alshon Jeffery's been good when on the field, but we know we know how that's gone. Right. Um, they they tried several times later in last draft, didn't really work out. I really had hope yeah, for JJ He didn't hit that ten percent number nowhere close, by the way, and that's no. why I started to fade him. Um, and so this year they've come out and taken a first. That seems to be a pattern of intent. And I and the stability that's probably going to, if I were to look at the targets added and lost, I would imagine they would fit in that category, right? That because you know there's no targets added for a rookie, I would guess. And and I can't I can't remember them losing many players. Jeffrey's still on the roster. JJ Sega Whiteside. They didn't trade. They they traded Aguilar for just John Jackson. About it. Yeah, yeah, Aguilar's in Las Vegas mm-hmm. now. That's about it. Yeah, and they added Jackson. So, and Jackson's, uh, you know, uh, you know, year one for a rookie contract. And just thinking general dynasty theory, both Alshon Jeffrey and Jackson look like they're in good spots for some value, right? Right. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, that stability is not a bad thing either. Um, year two, year three. Mm-hmm. All right, Peter. Well, we're on number three, and I literally have. 15 seconds before I win this player in uh, Capital Speech 3. So tell me why I'm so happy to have Je- tell me why I'm so happy to have Jefferson. Um I love Justin Jefferson. Uh, he the, if I was going to come up with a negative since I said I liked him, um he was a wide receiver too in his own offense. That's not typical uh, of top 24, top 12 breakouts at the wide receiver position. Normally you're the most dominant. But Jamar Chase. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're the most dominant, but yeah, there's some slight adjusting adjusting we can do there. Right. Um but despite being the number 2, his production metrics, the percentage of the offense he was actually scooping up, earning, carving out for himself, hit every threshold. So, you know, it was possible, Henry Ruggs truthers. He just didn't do it. Um, <laughs> um, wide rec- lots of wide receiver ones in college don't do it. That's why it's helpful. Justin Jefferson was getting there as a wide receiver too, which says a lot about him and probably that team. Um, based on his breakout ages, a percentage which are based on the amount of offense he was scooping up at different ages, he's actually the most likely wide receiver in this draft class to have a fantasy-relevant season. <laughs> like, by a significant percentage above lamb not like 10 it's like three or four percent i think i've got them lined up in that sheet if you want to look at it um so uh, and you can look at each hit rate as well and it's true at top five season top 12 season top 24 season so if you just want to take that broad picture of this type of player yes they only break out four out of ten times and we only Mm -hmm. have one not ten of them but he's the most likely to do it of any wide receiver in this class and everything I've read about him outside of that is like a phenomenal wide receiver. And speak, he, he went to Minnesota. Like, I think everyone's going to speaking of vacated targets too. Right. Everyone's going to make a Diggs mm-hmm. argument. Yeah, is it, right. Does he remind anyone else more of Adam Thielen than Diggs? Sure. Yeah. A little bit. I mean, if you, yeah. yeah, well, if you look back at the mm-hmm. year that, that Diggs played more of the slot and all the Minnesota fans lit their hair on fire because they thought it was going to be terrible. <laughs> uh, Thielen played fine. So, I think that's what's going to end up happening. I don't think I'm sure you fought the DK Metcalf battle plenty, Peter, <laughs> because he was quote unquote with two other <laughs> NFL talents. Of course, Demarcus Lodge didn't work out, but um, and then it ended up working out for both of them. So all for not. <laughs> yeah, despite what Jake Anderson, the golf expert, so I don't know why I have to keep talking to him, um, tells everyone like I was a like. 
the broad picture is DK Metcalf is bad, but that's why you don't just stick with the broad picture. When you looked at it and you got explained to you that he was injured this year, he missed this year, AJ Brown was the guy this year. When you looked at him when he was actually on the field, he was really good. So all I mm-hmm. said is we don't know as much about him because we didn't see him play at those other ages. But when he played, he's really good. And he's this athletic freak. And he went to a good draft spot. Well, he went with good draft capital. So, like, I came in on him. But, again, that's, you know, don't stick with just a broad picture. <laughs> but mm-hmm. that one year he happened to be good, happened to be at age 19, which made it a lot easier to believe for me because I like age 18 and 19 breakouts. 20 is fine uh, as well. But um, you you kind of kind of just need to recheck recheck what you think of everything else at twenty. You know, it's a lower hit rate, for example. But eight nineteen is fairly common, um, most common um, breakout age actually. So uh, yeah, he looked fine. It just it needed a little more investigating, despite what mm-hmm. the golf expert said. I know it took us well over an hour to get through about three or four wide receivers. We still have eight more to go in Peter's top 12. And I don't know about y'all, but I completely enjoyed uh, the conversation thus far. And we've got plenty more to come. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Just understanding his methodology, uh, understanding just some of the nuance that goes into discussions like we had when talking about the running backs or when talking about the wide receivers and the impact on their offenses and the other current veterans that are there and how they're going to be affected. Uh, Just conversations like this is what we need to have more of in the community and having Peter on and getting the chance to do that was, it was just a delight to be quite honest. Uh, but we're going to stop it here. Uh, like I mentioned, we still have plenty of more wide receiver talk here coming in the next episode. So stay tuned. Hope this finds everybody. Well, if you haven't already, please follow Peter Howard on Twitter, go check him out at PA Howdy, go look at his Patreon account and, uh, continue to check out all the content, content he's putting out. And, uh, we'll be back with part two here shortly. 101 pick when it hits you feel no pain praying for the fantasy championship hit the books kid read this pamphlet called the dynasty owner's manual it's automatic dynasty it's automatic owner's manual it's automatic dynasty it's automatic